0: The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Blessed Lord, you've caused all Holy Scripture to be written for our learning. Grant that we may so hear them, read, mark them, that by patience and comfort of your Holy Word, we may embrace and ever hold fast to the blessed hope of everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I received an interesting critique after the sermon today. And someone said, "Uh, Pastor, you made it sound like we're in end times. But didn't St. Paul believe that too? And didn't Martin Luther believe that too? And, uh, And what's the deal? And that's true. And that doesn't make those that confession or that faith any less true. Any time after the crucifixion, resurrection and ascension of our Lord is, is the end times. So we're living in the end times uh, right now. And you heard in that, uh, you heard in the gospel text that from, from Jesus that the whole reason that this world is still spinning around The whole reason that this world is still spinning is that more people may come to faith in the gospel and that the elect would be gathered. So why are we here? Well, it's to believe in the gospel and to believe and trust in him and so that others too may come into his kingdom. So um, it's nice to be with you again. We had an interesting couple weeks here, a couple weeks off of... uh, Bible study with uh, the bishop here presenting, the Siberian bishop, uh, Bishop Litken, and we had uh, Dr. Schultz here last week in a congregational meeting, so very thankful to be with you again. Uh, this morning, I'd like to have a look at the, the curse of the fall, the curse of the fall. So you remember, several weeks ago, Dr. German uh, led you in a discussion about the fall into sin, then you had a Bible study with Dr. Lane about the doctrine of sin right? That it's not some occasional naughty thing that you do or a bad word that you said but it's a terminal disease and corruption of the nature that brings death okay? And that informs the way that we preach and think about the Christian life that we're not asking people to make a decision because you don't ask somebody you know you don't ask somebody who's dead to make a decision for for Jesus, we just call them to, to faith and, uh, and life of the gospel. So I want to look at what has been historically called um, the curse of the fall. The curse of the fall, which immediately follows the um, fall into sin. And when you think about the curse of the fall, before we read the text, what are the things that come to mind immediately? When I say the curse of the fall, what do you think of? What sort of images come to mind. Childbirth. Yeah. What? Al- what about childbirth? Pain. Yeah. Pain in childbirth. What else? Weeds. Weeds, thistles, thorns. Yeah. That even creation shares in the curse. Isaac. Mortality. Mortality. Death. And I think the way that we are. Condition or prone to think about the curse of the fall is primarily in terms of punishment punishment and I cannot and will not deny that punishment is a central feature of the of the curse of the fall. However, when we start walking through the uh, the curse itself i it's something of a goal, as we walk through those verses, that I want you also to see God's plan of restoration in, uh, in progress. The, um, the theologians of the Lutheran Church, especially in the Book of Concord, they are able to make something of a distinction between, um, when it comes to punishment, that on the one hand, you have God's wrath his righteous anger and punishment. And yet, on the other hand, you also have his fatherly discipline and affliction and chastisement that God uses for for greater purposes. Um, So when you think, for example, as all those things that you thought about, uh, pain and childbirth, the man's work is uh, difficult and uh, dangerous, when you consider afflictions in light of the promises that God has given, it's true that the curse and the afflictions that we suffer for the Christian called to the gospel take on a positive um, sort of role. That we see that God's intention and will for man is, is good and serves his, his eternal purposes. So, I'm hoping to get through the curse of the fall uh, today. I think it's 15 or 16 verses. And I'm pretty set on accomplishing that. So, if we're not able to dive as deep as you'd like on a certain section, I p- apologize in advance for that, but I would love to really get the whole, the whole geography there, the whole landscape. Can I have a reader? I'd like a reader for chapter three. Chapter 3, verses 8 through 24. And take us all the way. Chapters 8 through 24. And he volunteers. And he volunteers. Otherwise, I can take it too. You want me to take it? I got a microphone. I'm going take it. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Then the man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reached out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Thanks be to God. Okay, I'd like to start from the beginning. I'd like to... Um, Just walk through it. So we hear that um, after the fall into sin, they hear the voice of God, and he is walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Um, You have something of a picture here. We don't normally think about God um, walking and... uh, Conversing with his creatures in this sort of way, so we do get a uh, we do get a view into what uh, the garden was like. That uh, communication uh, with God was open and free, um, um, and it uh, it reminds me of the of your grandma's favorite hymn, which is what in the garden. Does anyone know that one? He walks with me, he talks with me, right? By the way, don't make fun of people's hymns. It's just not a good thing to do, and especially if you're becoming a, uh, a parish pastor. I almost wanted to talk about uh, on eagle's wings today, but I, it's a psalm. It's a wonderful uh, psalm, but there's a hymn there too, but discipline myself there. <laughs> well, you you don't want to poke you don't want to poke fun at hymns because hymns are really important to people. By the way, you know they love them. It was at their mother's funeral, so if they you know if you're a pastor someday and they ask you if you like Amazing Grace and uh, On Eagles Wings and um, in the garden, say yeah, I, I do love that one. That's a special hymn. So <laughs> just a, a tip for pastors. And then you say, but I know a great hymn. It's called Dear Christians, One and All Rejoice. Have <laughs> you heard that? So they're, they're walking with talking with God here. Uh, they hear his voice. Now, think about this. Is this the first time that they heard God's voice in the garden? No. It, right. Is it the first time uh, Adam and Eve are um, walking naked in the garden? No. It's all they ever knew, right? But now, um, this voice that should uh, call forth ecstasy and joy and utter delight, now it is a a terrifying voice. Um, Luther writes that after the fall in his sin, man became terrified at the sound of a rustling leaf. Man becomes terrified at the sound of a rustling leaf after the fall into sin. So has God changed? No. Uh, What's changed here? Man has fallen into into sin. So the voice that once uh, called forth uh, delight and joy um, now calls forth fear and and a guilty conscience. And a guilty conscience. And what do they do when they hear that voice? Yeah, they hide. That separation had already begun with the loincloths. They already had to cover themselves after the fall into sin, and now you see that separation becoming further and further. And now they hide from from God um, among the trees of the garden. And by the way, you know, before we go on, it is interesting, of course, that um, uh, Mary Magdalene encounters. Jesus at the tomb as whom? As the gardener. As the gardener. Is she afraid of that voice? No, she delights in that voice. The Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Now, who does the Lord God call out to here? Who's he calling out to? Freddie. Yeah, he's calling out to Adam. Now, I want you, kind of in the midst of this, as we look at this dialogue and as we get to the curse, I want you to think about, um, recall some of the conversations we had about the order of creation, that God speaks to man, woman created from Adam's side. Now you have Eve, who went after whom? The woman, Eve. And then uh, Adam, too, is led into sin. So, of course, notice that God is not calling out to Satan. He's not calling out to Eve. Who is he calling out to first? Adam. What sh- as theologians, what should you learn from that? What should you think about? What can you draw from that? Elish. The man of the house is responsible for everything. Thank you, Elish. I love how you said that. Yeah. The man of the house is responsible for everything. So, as we'll, I went we'll fall into sin. And for Luther, you know, he's really on this in his commentary that the fall into sin fundamentally was an ecclesiastical crisis. Okay? Ecclesiastical is just a fancy word for uh, the church and um, the order of creation. So, Adam is called to be the pastor, the uh, bishop. Uh, the head of the household, entrusted with uh, God's word given to him, that his vocation is about uh, speaking God's word, uh, teaching God's word in the home, and defending uh, his family, his wife, his children, and neighbor with God's word. Okay, So when Adam abdicated uh, his God-given responsibility in the home and family there, then Satan entered in. I had a... um, Professor Dr. Skira, I always remember him saying that the fall into sin was fundamentally a woman's ordination. A woman's ordination that that here, um, you know, Adam abdicated his responsibility and allowed Eve to be the uh, the preacher, right? And um, so we'll go on to say a little bit uh, more about that. So the fact that God calls out to Adam, he God is restoring. Uh, he, he wants to restore order okay to what had gone wrong so you know that satan is really in the business of inverting the order of creation he's into kind of perverting turning inside out upside down the whole order of what god does here so that's why he attacks Eve. He doesn't have to go after God. He doesn't go after man, but goes after Eve. So, now God steps in with this question and he, you see that he is beginning to make some order again out of the chaos that, that had ensued there. Where are you? Okay? Now, we always talk about this with the catechism students. Does he know where, he, where they are? Well, yeah, of course. He's God. He's omniscient. Of course he knows uh, where they are. But this is, a, this is fundamentally a call to repentance. Right? Where are you? Uh, Where are you in relationship uh, to me? Um, This is a call to repentance. Um, Adam, where are you? Cain, what have you done? Right? I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Now you can see here that when God is speaking to man, is he is he cruelly bullying him? Right? Is he kind of waving his sin in front of his face, his face, and uh, torturing him? What sort of way is God speaking to Adam here? How would you characterize the series of questions and the way that he is? speaking to him after the fall here. How's he treating him? Michelle? Like a parent trying
1: to show a kid what they did, like where
0: they went wrong? That's right. You see in the way that he is speaking God's fatherly mercy and his his goodness. You can see God's patience here. You can see that God is deeply invested in getting to the heart of the matter and drawing forth a confession of faith. So he's gently prodding him, gently kind of poking him, aiming at a confession. Um, As a parish pastor, you know, folks somewhat frequently come to uh, make use of the gift of individual confession. Generally, I shut up and just listen to them confess their sins. But occasionally, pastors, you know, at least I jump in there, occasionally, gently, to provide a little bit of support. know so you hear this dialogue and Adam's making all sorts of justifications and excuses and stories and and sometimes the pastor has to say well that's an interesting story but now tell me your sin right uh what commandment have you broken how have you despised the word of the Lord here and I'm suggesting to you that that is what is going on with uh in this conversation now how is Adam's response? How is Adam's response? Freddy? Yeah, so immediately he's, he's blaming uh, Eve, and he is also blaming God, and it's something very naughty he's doing. He's really blaming God as the originator of, of sin, isn't he? Um, the woman whom you gave to me, you know, she, she caused all this. So he's laying the blame at, uh, at God. Now, um, so he's not taking responsibility. Uh, he should be confessing his sins. Aaron, I'm Dr. Wietz. Go ahead. yeah I think so, so yeah, as we talked about earlier all that all they knew was nakedness in the presence of God and uh speaking and hearing and basking in the love of God. uh who told you that you're naked I think calls to mind the the power that Satan has over us, um, and of course, there's a defiling uh nature of sin um so who yeah who told them that they were naked I, it's it's sin and the power of the devil what do you want to add dr beats it just seems a little bit like the good shepherd wanting to defend his sheep i'm sorry i can't hear you oh it
1: sounds a little bit like the, the good shepherd wanted to defend his sheep against the
0: wolves yeah absolutely yeah absolutely um,
1: I'll
0: go
1: get them coming. What's that? Like a who told you this? Like,
0: I'll go get them so they can't do it again? Yeah, or like a parent who asks their kid, who, oh, okay. who told you that word, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good. So, yeah, I mean, if you're a kid and you go home and you, if you've got a good mom and you tell your mom that a teacher or someone or student or someone bullied you, I mean, the mother bear comes out and she's preparing for a attack. I mean, I haven't thought about that, but maybe you could. We'll the, the, yeah, maybe. The you uh, were out with uh, You swear word or whatever, and like, oh, I not you have to hang out that yeah. anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never preached on that. I've never thought about that deeply. I think you could. Uh, you can definitely run with that. You too. Who told you that you were naked? And very soon, uh, God goes after the enemy, and He does so uh, first. Okay, now. Um, doesn't confess his sin. Uh, fails there. And then it uh, goes after Eve. Does Eve do any better? No. The classic, the devil made me do it, excuse. Now notice here that God doesn't uh, write them off here. God doesn't write them off. And now we're getting into what is classically called the, uh, the curse of the fall. And God is restoring order. So who is God going to speak to Now? the serpent. The Lord God said to the serpent, and who, who also is there? Adam and Eve is also there. They're hearing this. Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Okay. So, I know people always are uh, kind of confused about this, but uh, snakes are on the ground anyways, so what's the deal? But you Luther has all sorts of interesting speculations on what the serpent looked like before the curse of the fall. Basically said he was upright and like a puppy or a pony or something. He loves puppies and ponies. That he was an upright sort of uh, creature. So this curse goes to the serpent, that now the serpent will, um, will move on his belly and, and uh, eat dust. Um, but ultimately, it's not a curse against an animal in God's kingdom, it is more a God, a curse against the enemy, who is Satan, whom um, Satan is simply using this animal as a way to uh, deceive Adam and Eve. Uh, on your belly, this is, this is language of uh, defeat. Defeat. And it is anticipating the final judgment when Satan will be uh, condemned for, for all eternity. Freddie. Yeah, so Freddie's asking, "Hey, it's not the snake's fault, so why does he get a bad deal here?" But as we'll go on to see, the whole creation actually Freddie is subjected to decay as a consequence for for man's sin. So that that includes the um, uh, the creation as well, it includes uh, uh, agriculture. Um, how far it includes animals as a whole, I don't, I, I can't really speculate on that. But the uh, the chaos caused from Uh, Man's sin and the consequence of the fall is um, uh, would extend here uh, to him. And I, as we get into the curse here, this is something I do want you to keep in mind: that man has has sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. Um, But when you think about the curse of the fall. It's not really your sin that does this. And I know Dr. Schultz is really into this idea that the curse of the fall is, is, is God's business. It's God's action, God's action of subjecting the creation as, as a consequence for man's fall, fundamentally to call us to uh, repentance. To repentance.
1: Just an observation. As we're going through the text here, it, it, it's striking how how the senses are are the means by which all of this happens. So there's before the fall, eating is blessed is blessing. Through the fall, eating is curse is the way that the curse comes. Yeah. And then the the reparations are seem to be through also the toil and the eating. Mm. There, there's something about the eating place. Um, Adam's concerned by the voice of what God will see. So he hides himself. Yeah. And then the serpent isn't even spoken of in that regard, but he's right there with them somehow okay. in the hiding place that God finds him. Sure. Uh, I don't know, it's just striking how uh, all of the entire scene is which senses, which place, which, uh, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but I just, I keep thinking through how earthly those yeah, things right, are, right. and that's exactly how, the, how God wants to work, Yeah. both initially by blessing, and then by misuse of that.
0: that yeah, thanks, Dr. Lynn. So, yeah, man fa- man falls by a meal, and he is, uh, he's saved by a meal, and yeah, it, so
1: this yeah, is not, a, this, I guess it's that it's not this upper echelon spiritual right, life, right. That, it, that, that that spiritual life is bound to the very senses yeah. of, of humanity.
0: Right, and has so much to do with, uh, with the ears as, as, as well, because you listen to the serpent, because you listen to the voice of, of Eve, right? Cursed are you, and we know that faith cometh by hearing. So yeah the fall into sin our redemption is a yeah it's not a yeah it's not an overly kind of spiritual thing it's it's creaturely uh, it has to do with a sensorium of sight and 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 hearing and uh, eating and drinking and yeah I think we should we should I think it's worth meditating upon in a deep way when we think about all the things that we love like liturgy and and sacraments, and word and sacrament, and all the Lutheran stuff that we're we're all about. Yeah, thank you. Verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Usually in the Bible, I get so many questions on enmity. What's enmity? Well, enmity is uh, strife and uh, warfare and conflict. In order to understand this verse, well, first off, let's get our pronouns right. The, I will put enmity between you, who's he talking to still? The serpent and the woman. And let's get our pronouns right here, too. When, we, when we're talking about the woman, who are we talking about? Ready? Eve. Yeah, we're talking about Eve. However, Luther, in his commentary, he makes kind of a threefold reference here. You can go a little further here. who else could it be talking about yeah who's the you know the seed of the woman uh, crushed the serpent's head um, Elspeth all women. I like that, yeah, uh, all women, all women, in fact, with this threat, I'll put enmity between you and the woman there's a threat against Satan, and Luther in his commentary, makes a big he makes a big deal about this. He makes a point that this promise is general to all women. So he doesn't say the Virgin Mary, you know, 4,000 years later, something like that. Um, but he's talking about all women. And Luther does something kind of interesting with this. He says that this is God's way of terrorizing the devil and making him nervous of all women. So that, you know, every mother and every child is a source of tear and anxiety for the devil as we anticipate the seed of the woman to crush the serpent's head kind of cool right and you know you could think about this with um the violence of pharaoh against the the women in egypt and their children you can think about this with herod's wrath and you can think about revelation chapter 12 and the dragon going after the woman um and you it is also you could say it's also talking about the church. the church and very specifically it's talking about Virgin Mary. Right? So uh Phil.
1: I have a question about the verb of bruise. The translation that I guess I grew up with maybe it was NIV but it was always like crush your head yeah and strike or bruise the heel. And crushing seems so more
0: it was more
1: final and destructive.
0: Yeah. I hear the word is the same. Why don't you just speak to to that verb and right. you know, bruise doesn't seem as bad as crushing. Right, yeah, thanks, Phil. Um, so it's the same word where we hear he was bruised for our iniquities, right? Uh, from Isaiah chapter three. Um, but I do like I do like crush, right? I mean she will give birth to the, the, the crusher. And it is helpful to think about that when you talk about, you know, cr- crushing the devil's, the, crushing the serpent's head. Um, so um, I like crush. I like, yeah, that she will give birth to the, to the crusher, the, the crushing seed, it will destroy the power of Satan. John?
1: Yeah, there's an old uh, English or British colloquialism for to be killed
0: Saying, well, he was not done yet. Okay. Yeah, very nice. Um, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Now, I want you to think about this. I will put warfare between you and the woman. I want you to think about what had happened to the woman when she listened to the voice of the serpent. A relationship there was cozying up between Satan and Eve and the man okay that was a very unholy alliance a very unholy bond that was developed when Eve lent her ear to um to the devil so when when God says I will put enmity between you I mean we, we love Genesis 3:15 but I want you to I want you also to hear the gospel here that God is very much saying to Satan, you can't have her, right? You can't have her. Uh, she belongs to me. She's mine. And I'm going to disrupt this alliance. And I'm and I'm going to take initiative. I will not allow this to exist. And I'm going to reconcile her uh, to me. She's mine. Okay. That's how I'd like to. That's how I'd like to hear it. And between your offspring, devil, and her offspring, he, right, the son of promise, the Messiah, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Or he shall crush your head and you shall crush his heel. Uh, For the catechism students here, when we talk about Genesis 3.15, what are we talking about? Just so the disciples aren't left behind. Elish? Or did you want to say something different? I want to say something different. Okay. Jofi. Yeah. Say it a little louder. Huh? Yeah, Jesus. Okay. Uh, that This is all about uh, Christ born of the woman to crush the serpent's head. Um, and we say that, we know that, we love this. This is called the Proto Evangelion. Uh, fancy way of saying the, 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 first, uh, the first gospel, the first promise of the gospel. However, When we're talking about crushing the serpent's head, we always just kind of say theological language, but where is the power of the serpent? What is the power of the devil? What are we we aiming to crush here? Just so we can keep everything together. Who now? Yeah, that's absolutely right. He's going to crush the power of, of sin. Michelle, what do you want to add to that? Yeah, can you say more? Because um, he
1: didn't have to, like,
0: the serpent didn't invite anyone to, like,
1: cause
0: any of these issues. He just talked and caused. And, like, then, like, Adam, made these decisions after he talked and tempted. So. Yeah, you're, you're really on to what I want to get at. His lies, his ability to lie. Yeah, his lie. Yeah,
1: the devil is a, a liar. Um, But... That's a matter
0: of yeah, so Satan, uh, what sort of authority, what sort of power does he have? Well, he derives his power from the authority of God's word itself, which is, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And you're right, it was fundamentally a lie. So Satan's power is in that he can accuse us uh, of, of sin and, and death. So this is the power uh, that, that Christ, the, um, the seed of the woman, is going to crush so that the devil cannot open his, his mouth, Michelle, that he can't lie and that he can't accuse us of a single sin before our Father in heaven. That's the authority. That's the voice that will be struck down. And so that's why you have those icons of St. Michael, where you have Michael shoving a spear into the devil and where is he aiming at? His trap. Yeah. Dr. Lane?
1: Probably a helpful reminder that the issue is not is not Satan versus Christ outside of the Word of God. Yeah. It's about the interpretation of Scripture. So Satan just doesn't say some random thing. It's,
0: Uses God's word. He's an interpreter of the Bible. Right. An exegete, a really bad one. Yep. And um, yeah, so Dr. Laney's is making the point that we're not dualists. It's not some sort of power over here of God and then the devil over here. But um, uh, Satan even uses uh, God's word as an interpreter, a liar of scripture to bring uh, evil upon us. Any questions or anything else you guys wanted to say before we press on a little bit? Yeah, Elish? Okay. I just came back when it says that the difference between the devil's offspring and the thieves. I don't even know what kind of offspring the devil has. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's speaking of his whole kingdom. It's speaking of his kingdom and demons and his lies. And the evil angels, yeah. Doctor, uh, Doctor Yeah. Thank you. That's a great verse to think about. Thanks. Let's get to the curse of the woman. Let's work on that. And by the way, I mean, it's. I feel bad glossing over Genesis three fifteen. We could spend all of our over time there and it's a wonderful verse to um, contemplate it's the promise of the promise of the gospel that at the cross Jesus destroys the power of Satan to accuse us of anything and of course Jesus receives a mighty bruising by his passion and suffering as he takes upon himself the sins of the world. Now how is the uh, curse of the woman described here. What, how have you thought about the curse, the curse given to, to Eve? What sort of curse is that? What does it have to do with? What does that look like? Yeah, Sarah Kreuter said it earlier. It has to do very specifically with her vocation as mother. Um, that in pain she shall bring forth children. And, of course, it's not just talking about first trimester stuff here, right? It's also talking about uh, the rearing of children. So sometimes I'll ask our catechism students if they've ever seen their mothers cry. And we don't get into specifics, but after the fall into sin here, we see that um, Eve is very much uh, humble and that there are mighty uh, pains and mighty afflictions, specifically in regards to to bearing children, which is dangerous. And if you've been a part of that, um, there's real affliction there. Um, and also in the raising of children, in in um, caring for them, I'm, I'm always kind of amazed at the differences between uh, my wife's reaction to things with the children and my own, like when a when a child gets hurt or something like the, a, a woman is emotionally attached to her children in ways that men are just completely blind to. So if a kid falls or gets hurt or something, the dad normally says, "Well, good, they learned a lesson," right? I mean, I love my children very much. Yeah, and the and and Christina mothers they will run to the child and comfort them and kiss them and pet them and we do a little bit of that, but. I mean, there's something about fatherhood where it's just a little—it's—it's it's different. Men are not it, at, not attached in the same unique way that women are. Not less, but very, but very different. So there's tremendous, uh, tremendous affliction there in uh, in raising of children. However, when you think about the um, the curse given to Eve and women, it comes right after the gospel promise. And that's the sort of thing that I want you to to keep in mind here, that even these afflictions that women endure, which which are mighty and significant, they come upon the heel of the gospel promise, right? So that the afflictions that, whether it's women or men who endure them, they, they are aimed to, to humble us, um, to call us to uh, repentance, and to point us to the gospel. So I want to read um, a little short passage. And Gabe, I know you have something, but let me just read this quick. This is what Luther says about the curse pronounced on Eve. Listen. Without a doubt, therefore, Eve had a heart full of joy, even in an apparently sad situation. Perhaps she gave comfort to Adam by saying, I have sinned, but see what a merciful God we have, how many privileges, both temporal and spiritual, he is leaving with us, poor sinners. Therefore, we women should bear the hardship and wretchedness of conceiving, of giving birth, and of obeying you husbands his fatherly anger because this stands that the head of our enemy will be crushed and that after the death of our flesh we shall be raised to new and eternal life through our Redeemer. These abundant good things and endless kindnesses far surpass whatever curse and punishments our Father has inflicted upon us. Do you see what he's doing there? So Luther's saying, well, of course Adam and Eve would have had these sort of conversations. Like, yes, I've been... Uh, afflicted, I'm, I'm suffering all sorts of um, uh, troubles and great trials, but look at this promise that God has given us, right? That, um, that the sufferings of this age are not comparable to the glories to be uh, revealed as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. The things that are unseen are eternal. So that the afflictions that uh, Eve would bear and Adam bear take on this positive uh this positive role as we see that God is reordering the creation and, um, and that we're living by the promise of the gospel. So this means that Adam and Eve, when they heard Genesis 3.15, when they heard about the enmity uh, bec- between the, the woman and, and Satan and, and, and the seed to crush the serpent's head, they believed the gospel. It wasn't some sort of like uh, uh, confusing, uh, code for them or riddle. It was a very clear preaching of the gospel that comforted them and that they found great, uh, great joy in. And this is the sort of thing that all Christians can do, by the way, that we can all radically reinterpret every affliction, every curse that we suffer in this life as uh, aiming at a higher good, namely faith in Christ and to glorify God and to eagerly await the time of our redemption. Okay. I think you covered it
1: pretty well, but it's just, it struck me as very interesting, after listening to this again, how intertwined God's promise of salvation is with the church that he received that the salvation comes through from he's offering, but there's considerable pain and suffering directly for her to
0: get to that point. Right, right. Yeah, it's descriptive of the life of Eve. It's descriptive of the life of all women. It's also descriptive of the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Yeah.
1: Definitely. Yeah, just in all of this, it's a dis... To go to something that, like St. Augustine would say, it's just a complete disordering of creation. That, that's... What sin does is changes... The kind of roles that men and women have it changes uh, our relationship to the animals, it changes our relationship certainly to God, Mm -hmm. and it it certainly changes the order and structure of our own soul. Yeah. And all of those things uh, are tied into then (coughs) the promise, and you can almost see it in the promise that while the curse is laid on, there is this ongoing hope that all things will be made new in this coming seed.
0: That's right. That's right. Michelle. Why does the, like, the desire be for your husband to rule
1: over you? Like, why is this inputted
0: in the curse? Okay, well, let's look at that. Michelle is uh, bringing us to the next um, verse here. So now we're talking about the curse given to Adam, which is different. doesn't have to do with... It's, it's still part of the thing for Eve. Oh, yeah, thank you. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. So this is the part of the... Um, uh, part of the curse given to, to Eve. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. So Dr. Lane was just talking about this perfect, sublime order of creation, of headship, of, of husbands and wives receiving good things from their, from their husbands. And now you see that the marital bond is strained and disordered under the, under the curse here, where now traditionally it's, it's defined this way. That um, now it is the woman's desire to usurp the authority given to her husband, and the husband will rule over her. So there has been a... And this is not to say that the God's original order is still retained, but we see that there is strain here. There's pushing, there's, there's pulling. It's why we have marriage counseling it's it's it's, that the order that we've strayed from this uh from this order that the that the uh, eve would have once delighted to to hear every word of her uh, husband and and trust that word and now there is a desire to usurp that authority and the man also has the uh, desire to abdicate of that responsibility and it works itself in all sorts of perversions of of chauvinism and and um and abuse but you know, god is setting things in in order here so does that make sense, yeah, sense. um adam's adam's uh, curse is different what does it have to do with it's not about childbearing raising children what is it about grace work in the ground. yeah work in the ground um yeah i mean you can kind of talk about if you ever tried to do a hobby farm or something you got thorns and thistles it's a real mess but it's also talking about um, man's work. That generally man's work in providing for wife and children is wrought with anxiety and trial and affliction and that it nearly destroys you. And I think we all love our, our work and everything and it, we're, we're redeemed in Christ and we're uh, to be a blessing to, uh, to others. But so often when men come home from the work that God has given them to do, they heavily bear uh, the curse in in their bodies and in their lives. And of course, this is also all for our good uh, to point us to the Savior. And you also have, you know, little hints in here that point us to Christ himself who bears the curse. Who is it who wears the thorns, right? Christ right behold behold the man so that we see christ uh, bearing this curse for sinful man himself who will eventually relieve us of this burden in the in the resurrection of all flesh finally um verse 19 by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you are taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return In closing, what's the one time year that we definitely hear that in the church? Yeah, Ash Wednesday. Remember that you are dust. We put ashes on your forehead. Make a real mess. Remember that you are dust and to dust you shall return. Now, again, you remember we started our conversation talking about how when we think of the curse, we primarily think about punishment. And I don't want to, uh, we don't deny that that the curse is punishment for sin. How also, It's not just God's wrath, though. It is, it is his discipline and loving care. And I want to suggest to you that when Adam and Eve hear these words, remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return, that they hear them as, as a Christian. Okay? Adam and Eve, they hear this. Remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. They are hearing that and rejoicing in that as a Christian. Because a man, uh, a man from heaven, God himself, will become a man of the dust like you and like me. Okay? He will bear the curse for fallen man. And that dust will be laid in a grave and yet it shall rise. And so just as Christ walked out of the tomb, just as Christ rose up in the resurrection, so shall it be for us men of the dust, who trust in him and who believe the gospel of the Savior. Does that make sense? Okay. We're out of time. It's been fun. Uh, God's blessings to all of you. I'll leave you with a blessing. The Lord bless you and defend you and lead you to everlasting life. Depart in peace. Amen. Can I make an announcement? We have some box of
1: crackers and there's chips and we need all this food to go. So we-